Welcome to the Rage Hard Podcast, where we talk about how to get in touch with your emotions, connect to the universe with psychedelics, and charge really, really, really shiny crystals in the light of the full moon. (laughs) I'm just fucking with you. Instead of having this overthinking, rather like we said before, we get access to this other place that comes from the body that will pull us towards things. And the bottom line is it just feels so much better. It's so much more satisfying. (laughs) You know. All right, you beast, welcome to the Rage Hard Podcast, where I talk to all kinds of interesting people, including therapists, ayahuasca shamans and maestros, and occasionally my pet cats, Storm and Zeus, about all things nervous system healing, psychedelics, and how to unleash that beast inside you. Today, I'm talking to Simon Berkowitz. He is a somatic therapist, or perhaps just a therapist. Uh, We talk about his journey into the wonderful world of nervous system healing, including what life was like before he discovered these techniques and tools, how it changed after he got into the stuff, and his journey along the way, the things that fell away, how things are better, the benefits, all the big wins, all the interesting stuff. But before we get to that, I want to give you just a quick little update because I feel like it's pretty uh, relevant to the work I do inside Rage Hard and to what this podcast is about. So you may have noticed there has been two weeks with no podcasts. And the reason for that is I have been on a uh, psychedelic or plant medicine dieta here in the sacred valley of Peru. Now, Most people are familiar with, say, an ayahuasca retreat. You might go away for five days, seven days, and do three or four ayahuasca ceremonies. And there is a bit of a diet beforehand, you know, where you can't eat certain foods. So a dieta, at least the way it's described here, the way we do it here, is sort of like a retreat on steroids. So you can do these dietas for any length of time. You could go to the jungle and do three months or five years, or I don't know what the, (laughs) if there's an upper limit to it. But the basic idea is that instead of just, say, drinking ayahuasca in a ceremony, you start to work with the with other plants, right? So instead of just ayahuasca, this time I was working with uh, lavender and melissa. And most people don't know this, but you can actually start to open up a connection to these different plants where they become psychedelic too, even though they're not, they don't have like an active psychedelic compound in them. And you see this in dieta. So it's two weeks. You fast for the first few days. And you have a little bit of water the first three days, but otherwise it's no food. You're not drinking water during the day for the most part. And then four and five are usually without food and water. So that's how you start it off. You have a week of uh, lots of crazy dreams, lots of physical stuff happening in the body during the day. Basically, it's lots of cleaning. That's what these plants are very good at. And then you have two ayahuasca ceremonies and then we do it again. So another week of cleaning and uh, two ayahuasca ceremonies at the end of that. And uh, you do eat on uh, day six at the latest. I think I ate on day four this time. Very, very simple food, no salt, no seasoning, no fruit, no vegetables. I think all I ate was rice, chicken, and potatoes for you know the first five days fasting, and that was rice, chicken, and potatoes with no seasoning or salt for the remaining nine. And uh, I mean, to talk about like what a diet is like, what, <laughs> all the different things that can happen would take way longer than I have in this intro and far longer than even, say, a podcast interview, even if I spoke for two or three hours. So I wanted to just touch on one of the, probably one of the biggest insights that for me uh, going into this was, and and this is something, 
you know, the world of feeling feelings, whether we're talking about meditation or mindfulness or somatic work, working with the nervous system, you know, there's various mind body practices where we are tracking and feeling certain sensations. Or if we're sad, you know, if you've been in this world for this way of working for a little while, you'd be familiar with, well, feel it, feel it to heal it, feel the sadness, feel the pain, feel the anger, this kind of thing. And sometimes that's totally what needs to happen. And I've had, I've certainly had my share of releases, we might say, from finding a sensation where something seems stuck and feeling into it. And then something really, you know, something amazing unfolds from that. But what I started to notice during this diet, it was during one of the ceremonies one night, is sometimes feelings don't actually want to be felt. They don't want to be experienced. What they want is to be soothed. And the best way to explain this is to use an example of, say, think about a child when they're young, five years old, something happens, they get very upset, right? They're crying. They're, they're just so sad and so upset, maybe really scared as well. What they need in that moment is not to sit there in the corner on their own and meditate on their feelings and feel their feelings and just be present with their feelings. What they need, or it may even take them younger to two or three years old before they're in the nervous system world, we would say the ventral vagal portion of their nervous system hasn't fully developed yet, which means they do not have the ability to self-soothe, to regulate that intense emotion. What they need in that moment is for a caregiver, a parent or a caregiver to come and pick them up, give them a hug and just hold them. And for the caregiver to be totally calm and regulated, we might say, in their own nervous system, which will send the message to the child's nervous system that everything's okay, that the child is safe, that there's nothing to be afraid of, right? It's not a matter of telling the kid, hey, 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 you don't need to be upset. There's nothing to worry about. That's part of it. But the, the underlying part is that the person, the caregiver needs to be feeling calm and safe in themselves. And then the child will almost absorb that by osmosis. This is literally how the nervous system develops the ventral vagal side, the part of us that knows how to self-soothe to regulate our intense emotions develops based on our caregiver's. It's a very deep topic, <laughs> but um, anyway, so think about that's what happens with the child. The child doesn't need to sit there and feel the fear. They need an adult to come in and show them, to demonstrate, to hold the space that says, you're fine, you're safe. And so what became clear in uh, one of these ceremonies, and this is in some ways nothing new, and in other ways, a totally new thing for me. But the idea was instead of, you know, if I, there's parts of me, there's parts of all of us, right, that are still stuck in a sense of fear or anger or you know, some sort of pain, something's wrong from the past that's still just going on in the nervous system. And like I said, sometimes just feeling it isn't what it needs because when we focus on it, it's almost like our nervous system goes, oh, all I'm experiencing right now is this sadness, this pain, this fear, this anger. And it, start, it can start to perceive that as a threat, which activates the sympathetic, the fight or flight, <laughs> which then makes it seem like even more of a threat, which activates the sympathetic further. And we sort of spiral into negativity and it just gets worse and worse. So what I could see in one of these ceremonies was, because I tried that, I've tried that extensively with you know, a certain feeling that keeps arising in me, we, we might say. And what worked so much better, infinitely better than just feeling it, was actually stepping back and settling into what I would call parasympathetic rest and digest, all right? The portion of the ventral vagal, we could say in the nervous system world, the portion of my nervous system that is responsible for feeling safe, rested, recovered, sleeping really nicely. And I noticed that the more I felt into that space, the more I got grounded into that, 
the part of me that was afraid, that was unsettled, that was feeling uncomfortable, the more it could actually start to co-regulate, to sync up with my larger sense, deeper sense of being safe. Does that make sense? So it's like this fear or this doubt, this negativity that was passing through me, it didn't need me to focus on it or try and get rid of it or feel it or control it or do anything to it in any way whatsoever. Even just being aware of it was too much. What it needed was for me to hold this space of safety and relaxation. And then just like the child with the adult caregiver, it's like there's two parts of me. There's this child part and the adult part. And this child part that's still stuck in the past, that's still scared, when I'm in that adult part feeling really safe and calm and relaxed, this child part can then start to go, oh, adult John's like totally fine right now. He's totally relaxed. That's really cool. I'm going to go like just hang out with him for a while. And as this part comes and hangs out with, you know, this part of me, (laughs) the scared part, the negative part, comes and hangs out with the relaxed, at ease, feeling really safe part of me, the scared part can start to sync up, to co-regulate is the (laughs) highly complicated technical term, to co-regulate. It's like when you put two nervous systems together, they start to sync up. You know, whoever has the stronger frame (laughs) wins. It's from a book a long time ago. But... uh, So if I can hold that frame of everything's fine, everything's safe, everything's good, this scared part can start to arise into consciousness to start to sidle up to this calm part and then it dissolves. It's the most magical thing. And uh, like I said, this was one of the, I mean, there was so much that came up in this diet for two weeks with these uh, lavender and melissa and unni, as they call call ayahuasca in the Shipibo tradition. Subtle you know, subtle shift in perspective, a subtle change in approach, but it really shifted things. And I just wanted to share that because it's so relevant to what, you know, I'm trying to do with the Rage Chart podcast and what I'm doing inside Rage Chart in the Daily Growl, the daily newsletter, as well as the Rage Chart Academy. So depending on where you're at in your own journey, you might be able to take this and, and use this as it is. But if you'd like to learn more about how to work in this way with your nervous system, the best place to start of other than this podcast is to go to rageheart.co. That's like Braveheart, but rageheart.co or just type rageheart into Google and find rageheart.co. Go to the homepage. There's a little box there. Put your email address in, hit the uh, give it to me baby button. There's a red button that says that. It doesn't make that sound sadly when you click on it, but uh, put your email address in, click that button, confirm your email address. And uh, from that day forward, you will uh, get uh, some really interesting emails about how to integrate and apply some of these ideas into your own life. Okay. All right. That's enough of that. Let's get into the interview with Simon Berkowitz. All right. It's John Wood here, the founder of Rage Heart. I'm here with a good friend, Simon Berkowitz, which I hope I said that right. I think I said that surname right. said that just right. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I met Simon. It was about seven, eight, maybe eight weeks ago now. We're doing a course with a lady named Irene Lyon together and uh, we were paired up as buddies for a self-care project. And so we got to know each other through that. And uh, it is a course that relates to working with the nervous system and getting into the body and out of the head and how to feel and all that stuff. So I thought uh, Simon would be a really good guy to get on the show to talk about how all of this stuff has helped him um, just be a better version of himself. Um, you know, I don't know if you know Simon, but the part of the podcast or the name of it that I'm running with at the moment is the the company's called Ray Chart. The podcast is 
I'm going to go with Unleash the Beast, playing on this idea that as we become more embodied and connected to ourselves, we, you know, become more of, more beastly, more of ourselves, more confident, stronger, better boundaries. It doesn't mean working all the time or anything. It's it's going to be unique to every person, but um, that's kind of the idea behind the whole thing at, at the moment. So, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me. And I lo- I actually really like that name because. In a way, what we're trying to do, as far as I understand it, is get in touch with the animal side of ourselves, not because we have to necessarily attack or do anything like that, but because we have these natural things, that natural processes that we can actually work with, which make life a lot easier. You know, so yeah. I, I really love that name. It really is yeah, about that awesome. It's funny, like this whole work has been about people talk about spirituality and it's suddenly going up into the universe or something. But some of the most profound moments of my life have been doing this work that we're talking about. And it's so animalistic. It's, you know, growling and, and starting to embody and it's very animalistic and there's something very healing and healthy and beautiful about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, th- I guess we like to think of ourselves as so evolved and so civilized, but you know, the actual nervous system, the stuff which we're, we're operating from is, uh, has been around for so long, you know, and it's actually designed for a different environment than we're in. You know, it's designed for being out in nature and, and doing that sort of stuff. I mean, not that we can't work with it in cities and with technology and all that sort of thing, but if we don't know about it, then I think it can work against us. That's why I really like, like what you're looking to do with this this process yeah so before we you know i want to get into your story and sort of how it's all helped you but uh, maybe before we do that just give the listener a little bit of a just a quick little background on who you are and what you do and what you're all about so i have been absolutely totally addicted to learning and particularly personal growth type stuff since actually since i was a probably a teenager, which is a very long time ago. Um, I pursued it as a hobby initially. I did a degree in economics and then I trained in acupuncture and I worked like that for 15, 20 years, doing other trainings at the same time. So a lot of body work, craniosacral therapy, um, massage, various bits which are aligned to that. And then on the uh, mind-body side, I did trainings in hypnosis and uh, mindfulness and compassion training. And then I actually did seven years one-on-one working with dreams, with dream work. And everything that I worked with I found was wonderful, but it had these gaps. So the acupuncture, it's wonderful and can help a lot with mental, emotional conditions, but it doesn't have, unless you train in special aspects of it, doesn't have this capacity to work with the person. Hypnosis is wonderful for reinforcement, but I didn't like the approach to how to work with trapped energy, trauma, whatever way you want to call it. Um, and each one of them had that. So eventually, it was quite a while ago now, I landed on the nervous system work and um, encountered Irene, who is the person who's doing this course, and did a short course with her, had a gap, and then came back to that three or four years later. And I really do feel that all these methods are really, really valuable. And this nervous system work, for me, it's kind of like the key that unlocks the door 
to make all these things work much better. So it doesn't matter what you're doing, if you're doing therapy, if you're doing hypnosis, if you're having a massage, if you understand how to work with the nervous system, you're going to up your game a lot and improve your results a lot. So that's, that's a that's cool way to put it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I've never heard that way. Cause you know, one of the ways I've been talking about it to the, on the enrage heart, the newsletter is talking about how like, Oh, you're all these other things you can do meditation and a million different things. And in my experience, they just don't, they just don't work that well. Uh, I know for me, it wasn't until I found the nervous system stuff that things really started shifting and shifting very quickly, even though it's a long process. It was like everything else up until that point. I mean, you could frame it up your way as well, where it's like that stuff, these things do work. They, that's why they're so big and they're popular and they're out there. But I like that idea of the key that unlocks them all is the nervous system stuff or being in the body. Once someone can learn how to feel and be in their body, all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is how I need to meditate or this is how I need to do, I guess, hypnosis. I don't know anything about hypnosis, but these different other tools start to make sense and you can fit them into the, the nervous system map. Yeah. Well, I, I'm curious. Why, why do you think the other things for you, why do you think they didn't work until you got to the nervous system stuff? What was it that was making it less effective? It's uh, a good question. I mean, I, it's not that they didn't work at all. Like I'd meditated for right. years, almost a decade before finding the nervous system stuff. And, um, you know, it had probably made me calmer in some respects, but I think after I found the nervous system stuff, it, I think it actually made me more disconnected from my emotions because if I was feeling, say, anger with someone, I remember my partner at the time, uh, we'd have a fight and I'd, feel angry but I wouldn't know that I was feeling angry I would just take a breath and I'd think I'm feeling through it but really I'm just shutting it down and so I guess without understanding I guess how the nervous system worked it was very easy to misuse or abuse these different tools they became part of my way of coping rather than a way of healing and I just you know same with journaling gratitude lists like I see even gratitude lists like it's a classic self-help thing that people talk about but I think the idea is someone feels bad, but instead of learning how to work with that discomfort and releasing it, they just distract themselves and think about something else, such as, oh, at least I have a house, at least I have food. And it's like that's going to help maybe in an acute short-term situation, but it's not really dealing with the problem. So um, I guess for me, it's like it, never, it felt like nothing up until that point, nothing was really getting to the root cause. I was always dealing with different symptoms until I found the nervous system stuff. Yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot of a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah, but like I, I, I mean, like like what? You, yeah, no, go on, go ahead. I was gonna say, just like with the like your uh, metaphor with the key unlocking the door to all the other things. Like I don't meditate anymore because I feel like the somatic stuff for me is just placed, taking the place of it. But if I want to say meditate or sit down and do some chanting or use some of these different strategies, now it's done through the lens of being here in my body, which then makes it work a lot better. Uh, and it's not, it's much less likely for it to become a coping mechanism uh, or for me, it's harder for me to abuse the technique, you could say. Yeah, I mean, certainly my, my experience with meditation, I did loads at various points in my life as well. And quite a lot of other methods is I would not actually be in touch with how I was feeling and attending to that. And rather, like you said, when you had the angry moment and you're pausing and thinking you were feeling through it, I would actually be using it like a coping mechanism, like a kind of salve. 
and, which is fine. We have to at times do things like that. There's no, no other alternative at certain times. And if we're able to be in touch in the moment, that seems to give the opportunity for something to pro- actually process through rather than just be tolerated. You know, tolerated until it subsides enough that we can deal with whatever's going on. You know, and that that feels very, very different to me. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, you said salve. Like, I think I've thought about like it's a painkiller. Like, I'm in pain, and I don't even necessarily realize that I'm actually in pain. I just feel uncomfortable, and I know that meditation or applying some technique is going to make it feel better. And I don't realize that I'm not really dealing with the root thing. It's like I've got a headache and I'm just giving a pain, taking a painkiller and it fixes the headache. But whatever's causing the headache is still there. Um, and so, and I think that's where the nervous system thing, just, just the, even just the theory of understanding that stuff happens to us in our life, it produces stress or energy, which is meant to drive a response, and then it gets stuck. And unless that gets released, it's just going to keep on happening. So whatever technique we use, if it's about releasing that energy, it's probably going to have a really positive long-term effect. But if it's not, if it's just helping us avoid feeling that thing as it's coming up, it's probably going to stay there. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's a bit like using the wrong, wrong remedy in a way in some respects. And I, I just thinking of an earlier conversation today, with somebody who's having a lot of difficulty um, with breathing stuff. And their solution was to go and lie under a tree at a certain point and, you know, try and be still because they're feeling very agitated. They've been feeling very agitated and overwhelmed. And they're trying to go and be still. And actually all that's doing is allowing them to feel just how unstill they are, which is kind of, creating this vicious circle of, oh my word, I'm feeling so terrible, I'm feeling ah, and it's getting worse and worse. And in our conversation, I offered a possibility which they could actually find a way to express that, not in the necessarily the huge cathartic sense, but what about walking? You know, just walk. And as I suggested that, they recognized that when they did that, which they did do at certain times, they felt much better. But if I've got an idea that I've got to meet this challenge with a particular fixed thing, then, then, then it just risks being wrong. You know? And that's, that's one of the things about the nervous system work is it really does, for me anyway, offer the possibility that we meet the needs of the moment. If I've got too much trapped stress, maybe I need to find a way to release it. If it's shut me down, then maybe being with myself, maybe a little bit of mobilising somewhere a little bit of moving will actually help it you know but it's finding what works for me what works for me in different situations and that moment you know that's that's really what it offers yeah i mean that brings up like i mean with meditation the the advice if you're angry or anything is just to simply feel it to sit there perfectly still back straight head up you know (laughs) breathe through your belly maybe and just feel whatever's there that's the general approach with meditation whereas what you're talking about is an expression that sometimes what we're feeling doesn't just want to be witnessed in a detached kind of oh i'm just sitting here feeling it perfectly still sometimes it needs to be put in moved into action which might be like you said it might be walking it might be screaming it might be crying it might be a million different things and this is why it's tricky because it's like there's no one 
There's no formula for it. There's no formula for how to relate to any of this stuff. It's really learning to, like you said, meet the needs of the to feel the impulse and meet the needs of the impulse, uh, meet the needs of the moment. Because um, there's just so much weird stuff, and it comes out in the most the strangest ways. Uh, but I never got that from anything. And up for me, I know. I think the field of somatics. It doesn't have to be um, the stuff we've done. There's a lot of different modalities in the somatic field. But and I don't know. For me, it wasn't like up until the point where I started found, found the nervous system stuff. I ne- no one had ever really explained any of this stuff to me. And most people don't seem to know anything about it. It's crazy to me. It's so useful. But very few people are even aware that this is a, a you can work on something like this. Yeah, yeah. What what I like a lot about it as well is that you know there is you you can learn the education piece, right? You can learn about like for example polyvagal theory is one big part of this stuff, which is a way of understanding how we respond to threat, how our nervous system responds to threat, and how that, that gets trapped. So we can actually do that learning and understand that stuff. And uh, it doesn't have to be a big deal to do that. And we can then actually see it in ourselves very easily and in other people. And one of the huge benefits for me has been being able to identify in myself what state I'm in and what state somebody else is in. And that means I can meet other people better. I can actually respond to their needs much better. I can look after myself much better. It's it's just such a simple way of of improving my quality of life. <laughs> it's that basic for me. I'll tell you about that. Like what's really well, actually, let's go back and how was life before you found this? You were doing, you know, you'd said you'd done hypnosis, you'd done a range of different things. What was going on in like day to day for you uh, that made you continue to search for something? Like, was there a problem or a set of problems that you were trying to solve? I think the biggest challenges for me is dealing with the internal stresses, really. Um, so although I've been working all this time, I did have and have had and do actually have, which maybe I'll talk about in a bit, some external stresses as well. But I think the, the main thing for me is that I was searching for a way to actually manage what was going on in my internal world, getting frustrated, triggered, um, feeling uh, not so clear on direction or confidence across these these whole areas. And it kind of, I realized it took me quite a while to get to the point of realizing that I had a kind of um, social anxiety, a kind not diagnosed, but a, a real fear of moving into the world. And I hadn't realized that was what I was really trying to solve. I mean, in some ways I had because I'd done some performance stuff. So I did a stand-up comedy course and then went on to do a few gigs and I did a lot of experiments in that sort of area. Um, so I'm, I, I don't want to say that the nervous system stuff is the only thing which changed things because it didn't. But what it has done is it's enabled me to handle my reactions much better, much, much better, to know my own state and be clear on my own state. So it's, it's a bit like I'm inside my own skin. And then in my relationships, 
work relationships, friends, uh, groups, whatever it is, partner, whatever it is, I feel like I'm better able to show up more fully as a person I really want to be. So honoring myself. And also, I do feel like I'm better showing up as a friend or, you know, the, the other person in the relationship, you know. And that's all to do with having this sense of who I am in an embodied way. And it really is this embodiment, which is the, the piece which has shifted things. I think. When you say embodiment, like, like I kind of what that means because I've been doing this stuff too, but I think I was chatting to my sister about this. And I think part of the challenge with getting people interested in this way of working is if someone's been in their head their whole life or for 20 years, when you start talking about being in your body, uh, get out of your head and into your body, being embodied, I think some people can be like, what the hell is that? Like that does not mean anything to me at all because I have no frame of reference for that. Um, and I think if you told me this kind of stuff five years ago, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Like, like it just sounds a bit woo-woo or hippie or like it just doesn't sound like it's a, a very like a powerful thing. And then getting into it, I was like, oh my God, this is insane. This is so strong and so powerful. Like it's incredible. Um, so how, would, how do you convey that? How would you explain embodiment? to someone who's never felt what it's like to be embodied before? That's a good question. I, I mean, I think it depends a bit on, on what sort of conversation it is. You know, if it's just for an informational thing, I would probably look to thinking about how we, we actually can't really experience anything without having it mediated by the body, whether we think that's true or not. Um, you know, if we, if I hurt my hand, it's my brain, my whatever nervous system that's actually experiencing, experiencing that, making sense of it. So even if we're completely cerebral, and I have to say my journey goes from being, I was once described as a brain without a body, um, which is not, not, not a great thing to hear. Um, so, you know, that is what we can actually think. But it's very rare that you can't squeeze somebody's hand. I'm not saying do this, but you can't squeeze somebody's hand and they'll say, no, I can't. I can't feel that, you know, unless they've got something very okay going on. We are in our body. And if you have a thought or a feeling, let's stick with a thought. If you have a thought about something you like, your body will respond. And you know that because you feel good thinking about certain things. And you feel bad thinking about other things. So we are embodied all the time, whether we think we are or not. What changes, though, is our awareness, in my view anyway, our awareness of our experience. And it's a skill that can be trained. You know, slowly is better in my view, but it is a skill that can be trained. So that's, that's kind of what I would approach it from an, oh, sorry, just playing the mic, an informational perspective. Also, from that informational perspective, there's a lot of research. There's a lot of research which is looking at this aspect. It's not, this is not woo-woo. You know, you said that before. This really, really is not, there's loads and loads of research that's been done. So, you know, you can rely on that. If you want science, you can go and find it. There's a lot. Then I think if I'm working with somebody, I, I really love something a practitioner called Babette, a writer, and practitioner called Babette Rothschild said, which is when she's working with somebody, the 
frame or the kind of question that she's holding for the person is, what do you want to make? What do you want to make? And I, I think there's something really lovely about that because whatever my experience is, I have a, a desire to do something. However bad it is, I have a desire to move towards something, to make something happen. And for me, where I've come out at is that actually we have this inbuilt desire to create. It's a creative impulse. We all have it in some way, even if it gets covered up. And what we're trying to do in this work, in Irene's work, it's following your impulse and your internal barometer. What we're trying to do is to actually get to know that better and find ways to express it. And when we ask somebody what they want to make, that is actually what we're helping a person get to. And in that context, we don't have to explain quite so much. We can explain as we go along, if you sort of mean, what embodiment might mean we can introduce possibilities. Because if, like I was, a brain without a body, if a person's having that experience, it doesn't feel good to be necessarily told you have to feel things what's lovely is to be offered here's a way you can expand your world would you like to try it out um and always for me the safest thing is to ally it to that kind of what you want to make what is it that you actually want to do and that can be that big vision or it could be okay so how do you want to make your tea you know how do you want to make your dinner how do you want to make this conversation? You know? Interesting. I haven't even heard that. I haven't heard that way of approaching embodiment before. What do you want to make? So what you're saying, just to make sure that I've understood correctly, is that if I ask myself or ask someone else, what do you want to make? Instead of, especially if it's not coming from the mind, they're not sitting there logically trying to figure it out. It's just an impulse of like, oh, I feel like some food. I want to make some food or I want to make a business or I want to make a really great relationship. It starts to tune people. This is what you mean, right? It's tuning people into something that is maybe beyond the mind, like these ideas of what we want to create, where that comes from is not a logical thought progression usually. Well, uh, I mean, it's, it's always a bit tricky because we, we do need our thinking. So there is that and – um, I feel like for the way I see things is that um, this the desire to explore is something which is observable from the word go, you know, before we have the kind of minds that we actually start to move through the world with, you know, exploring where's that sound or where, what can we touch and all this sort of thing. So there is the, there are these inbuilt movements um, that we want to explore and find out about the world, right? So I, at that very basic level, it's physiological that we have it. It's beyond thinking because we don't have language at that point, right? So we can't articulate it for ourselves in the way we can as we get older. So this is this is built into us. So it's it's it's. It is a fix. Sorry, you're, I'm just wondering. You looked like you had a comment, which you were. <laughs> well, I'm smiling because what you're talking about is, I get it when you know we do like the movement practices, right? So, yeah, I mean, teaches this. I've got this in rage heart as well. But noticing as we move, it's not thoughts that are moving us. Something else is 
doing the moving or creating and initiating the whole thing. And by tuning into that, this is that embodiment piece that you're talking about. We start to feel that we are, we can move the minds just like we can move the body, but we're neither of them. We are this thing that's very hard to pin down with a word anyway, but can very much be experienced if people learn, if they get better at feeling. There's no, there's no way that, well, when I, when I did this dream work stuff, the guy, I was thinking about this the other day, the guy who was a very wonderful teacher in many ways, one of his first ideas, I can't remember who it came from, but it was one of these great thinkers, was if you take a shape like a square and put it in a circle, you've got a gap between the shape and the, the diameter of the circle, yeah? If you add sides, there's less of a gap. So you've got fi- a pentagon, you've got a five-sided thing. There's less of a gap, but there's still a gap. And this great thinker's whole thing was that no matter how many sides you add to your shape in, on the inside, you're always going to have some kind of gap. Lots of little gaps around it, yeah? So you, can, you get the sense of this. And he used that as a metaphor to explain how our thinking tries to recreate reality. And it never can. But our feeling sense can have a bigger view than the thinking mind. And this is one of the reasons why, for me, what you're saying about, oh, we get in touch with this other part of ourselves, why it's so lovely, because we get information in many different dimensions, which we don't have access to in thinking. And it's really a lovely experience. That's, what, that's part of my real um, passion for this work, is that my quality of experience in the moment, my experience of a cup of coffee, my experience of looking at a sunset, has just got so much richer as I've moved away from being limited by the thoughts about how things should be or what I'm looking for and let that open out. So I think that's I think that's something of what you're talking about maybe. Yeah, I mean this has been a you know as a marketer I've been doing marketing for 10 years and then getting into this nervous system thing I'm going oh my god this stuff is amazing. We've got to share it with people, but a lot of the time I find it's explained and just very poorly so that people who get it it they make sense to them, but to say friends of mine who've never done any of this They've got no idea what to make of it, so they just don't do it. So then I've been thinking a lot about, well, how do I communicate? How do we explain this better so that people who have no experience with it can start to get interested and start to get the value from it? That's why it's such an interesting thing to talk about. Um, The way that I've been – the way that seems to resonate at the moment with the people I'm working with is talking about most people have a mind that just doesn't stop. That's a very common experience for the average Westerner or to be a brain without a body, to be constantly thinking. And they might not understand what it feels like to be in their body, but a lot of people understand, at least even if it's never happened, they can still get a feeling for, what if you could just stop your mind? Just like that, without meditating, without going to therapy for 10 years, what if you had a way of working with yourself, with your system of using what you are, your awareness, and you could just silence your mind, not permanently, not forever, but you had a way to just stop the mind in its tracks anytime you liked. And I wonder if like that kind of angle or approach seems to resonate with a lot of people who are probably think a lot 
because it's that's something that they can, oh, okay, I kind of know what that would be like. Like I have moments when I'm living my life when the mind kind of stops. And if I could have more of that kind of stuff, that'd be pretty interesting. And it's, this, it's the same thing you're talking about where it's like as the mind starts to recede or as we start to become less identified with how our mind is putting everything into boxes, it's like we realize there's this whole other world out there that whatever we've been experiencing through our mind is not reality. It's just our ideas about reality. And you get that out of the way, you start to have that expansive, beautiful, rich experience that you're talking about. Um, so it's just, yeah, playing with different ways of saying the same thing to see, okay, what's really landing for people? Because if we can get, I really believe, if we can get more people into this will make the world, the world will be so much better for everyone. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. I, I, I don't feel that I can stop my mind at will. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about that. I, I, I sort of, I know what you're talking about in, in some respects, but I know for myself, if I've, if I'm caught up in a difficult state, say I'm, Somebody cuts me up in traffic. I, it's the, the one thing which I, I don't seem to have got very good headway with is when somebody just cuts across me. <laughs> and, you know, and I have a reaction. In that moment, I'm not able to, until I catch it, and even then I'm not necessarily able to stop it. So what I do, 100% am able to do, is to manage those moments much better and to have more of the sorts of moments that you're talking about. I'm, I'm wondering, do you, do, you, do you have a particular way in for yourself that allows you to do that? I mean, I'm not perfect. I'll start with that. Like I can't, it's not like my mind is quiet all the time no matter what happens. But, you know, if I go and sit down in the garden and I'm just feeling the ground and looking around and orienting, as we say, in the nervous system work. Yeah. There's still thoughts, but they're few and far between. Like they just – even and if I'm really stressed and activated, like I don't, I don't really get into um, traffic things very often, but some, let's say I'm triggered from something that happens. One thing for me, right, currently is like a mild form of OCD, right, where I'm checking the stove repeatedly, um, not enough where it's, you know, it's never been diagnosed. Um, it's never been so bad that I can't leave the house or anything. It's, it's a few yeah. minutes each time if it's bad. Um, and that's something I'm still working with at the moment. I have a much better understanding of what it is and why it's happening. But that's partly a thought-based thing because I'll go to say, look at the stove. No, it's off. The mind will fire off this disaster scenario of the house burning down for some reason. And then I'll be like, oh, shit, I better check the stove again. I'll check it. Oh, it's off. And then the mind fires off a thought about how maybe maybe the gas is on. So it's partly a thought-based thing. And so I don't have complete control, you could say, over thoughts. Um, but um, And there's still cleaning up, I suppose you could say. There's still stuff I feel like I'm cleaning yeah. up out of my nervous system. But for the most part, um, it seems to work better. The more, the more still I am, if I'm sitting in the garden and just looking around, Thoughts will come and go, but they're very, they're, they're very, they're just not sticky. They just kind of flow on past. And it's not, it works better with my eyes open, actually. I'm not really meditating. I don't feel like I'm meditating. It doesn't seem to take much effort. Um, yeah, there's just very few thoughts. And then the more I'm moving, so if I'm doing the dishes or if I'm working, there's going to be a lot more thinking activity involved because I think partly because it's the mind is mirroring the body. Uh, but it's more, I guess, what I mean is that. 
if I feel the ground and look around and feel my breath and bring in some really gentle, slow movement, the mind is, you know, the volume of the mind you could say has gone from 95% to about five or 10% in a split second. Um, And I think that it's not perfect, but that's a huge step ahead, step forward, you know, from where I was and I think where most people are with their minds. That's kind of more what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, that, that, for me, and what I love about that is that um, it allows this room for growth and for finding out new ways of being, which take us beyond what we thought was possible. And to move from 95% to 5% is huge. Somebody to move from 95% to 80% is huge, you know, depending on what their situation is. And I think I, that's, that's probably the orientation I, I tend to look towards is this ongoing improvement. And it can feel like we're not doing much because it's, these methods aren't dramatic in my experience. Anyway, they're, they're, they kind of quite gentle and subtle, you know, orienting, which you're talking about this looking from one object to another, if we're using the eyes as that vehicle, it's not a big, a big expansive thing. And yet over time, it has this cumulative effect, which is very, very powerful. And orienting particularly for me has given me this opportunity to observe how my mind moves. And I can see, because I can now allow my orienting to happen, it will show me exactly what's going on in my mind. It's fascinating. <laughs> you know, and opens up this space where something else is available, which is along the lines of what you're you're describing. So yeah, that, that does, that does work very well for me, the way you've just described it. I think that, that really makes a lot of sense. And that for me was like, you know, I'd meditated for a long time before doing this and I couldn't do that. Like if I was living my life, I couldn't just get out of my head like that, like in a very quick fashion. Um, If I sat down to meditate, maybe I could get into a pretty chill state after 40 minutes or something. But to just do it in 30 seconds, sitting down and be like, yep, I mean, there's still a settling into it that, you know, depending on what I've been doing that day, the mind can takes time for it to come down. But the speed at which this stuff seems to work, at least for me, has been so much quicker than all this other stuff that, you know, I could journal, I can do all kinds of things and I couldn't, I still stuck in my head. I didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> That's what's funny. It was only, it's almost like only after I realized what it felt like to be embodied or to be aware that I was embodied, only then did I realize just how much I was thinking. At the time, I'm like, I'm not thinking. This is just, this is just, this is life. This is who I am, you know. It makes me think of what we spoke about at the beginning in regard to that beast or animal sort of side of things because I think, I think for me the reason it can work so quickly in bringing us through something is because it's actually working with our body's natural process of harmonizing itself. You know, that's, that's really what the aim is. The aim is to remove the blocks to our body's ability to go into an activated state because I need to have energy online to do something, you know, whether that's a physical thing or 
mental process. I need to be able to get activated, aroused in that way, and then come out of it. And the big problem in our society is that we get aroused by something, or worried by something, and we stay up and we stay up and we, because of our patterning, don't have ways to allow it to come down. And what, what you described for me, that speed that it can work at, is very much to do with that ability to through the methods, through the practice, and that's the important bit. It's not a magic thing. It's regularly attending to the practice, having places where we can go, where we can do that, places where we can get to experience how we work and um, you know, do the thing. We start to see that we can actually allow that, that, that coming down to happen. And probably you know, if going back to your way of getting your mind clear, that is what's going on. You know, that is the, the way that it happens. Um, for me anyway, is that we've actually just allowed our body to, oh, I don't have to carry that anymore. Oh, what a relief. I can have some pleasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny, like, you know, I'm in Peru and so we've ta- I talked a bit about the ayahuasca and San Pedro and different psychedelics or plant medicines. And uh, a continual learning with these plants is that my mind, my thoughts generally, thinking is a beautiful thing and it's absolutely useful and necessary. But in certain situations, the mind, like in a plant medicine, in a ceremony, there can be things moving through the body, things that are expressing the same kind of stuff we're talking about. Stress responses start to move. But if I think... It's like I block the whole process from completing itself. And it's the same thing in somatics. It's just I think the way plant medicine tends to work mm. is it, it's a bit of a magnifying glass. So if I have a tendency to control or to think about things and block things, it's like it will blow that up to a million times bigger and shove it in my face so I can't avoid it anymore. Uh, but I think it's the same thing with somatics or even what you're talking about is a big reason why a lot of people are so stressed because they're thinking, they they get into a car, you know, situation, an accident, or a close call, or something. They get angry, and then they think about it for the rest of the day, and then that's blocking, or it keeps them in that activated state because they're repeating and replaying what happened over and over again, and the body's staying in this fight or flight. And what you're talking about is if we stop thinking and just feel, feel what's happening. It's like the process. We don't even have to do anything. We just have to be there for it. Just be present, really just feel what's happening, it just works itself out. It's like, you know, like that's what you're talking about, right? The body will harmonize itself if we just get out of the way or if we get the mind out of the way, um, which I think is less about not thinking and more about just not getting caught up in the thinking. It can still happen, but it's just like, oh, okay, I'm over here, thinking's over there, okay. Oh, like I'm outside of the mind. The mind can still do its thing, but I'm going to be here in the body and feel everything and then – just kind of works itself out. It's really beautiful. Yeah. If you're enjoying this episode of the Rage Hard podcast, I would love it, of course, if you could hop over to Apple, Google Podcasts, or uh, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave me a rating or review. Of course, five stars is uh, absolutely preferred, but if you leave me a crazy one-star review with something funny, I'll probably read that out on the show too. And if you drop a link in there, I don't even know if you can drop a link in the uh, in the review text somewhere, but uh, if you somehow manage to get something in there, I'll even mention that in the uh, intro. So, Or hey, just do it just because you love the show. It really helps me get the word out. This is 
if you can't tell already, I believe in this stuff, this working with the nervous system, working with the fight or flight response more than just about anything else and, uh, and psychedelics. And I'm doing everything I can to get the word out about this because very few people know about this way of working yet. So if you'd like to help me do that and you're enjoying the show and you'd like to spread the word about Raychart, about this uh, way of working with the nervous system and uh, psychedelics and all that good stuff, then uh, please <laughs> definitely leave me a review <laughs> if you can. Uh, big, uh, very big thanks if you can do that. Now let's get back to the interview. Uh, for, for me, part of it is getting to know how that working out process works for me. And, you know, there, it's, um, there are some kind of signature ways that it works for me. So if I get triggered by irritation or frustration, I will notice that my forearms, and this is just me, I mean, there are reasons why our arms might get tense if we're activated sympathetically with that mobilizing energy. But for me, I really notice that my arms go rigid and there's force in my hands. So if I'm sitting somewhere and I start to notice that my arms have gone like that, I actually now am able to take that as a signal. Oh, something's happening. Something's got me. And I don't have to make it into anything else. It's just like you say, it's, it's the feeling of it to the extent that I'm able to on that day, that actually allows something to move. And it's, it's, a very, it's been a very, very freeing experience for me. I think I'd like to talk a little bit, actually, because I, I think it's relevant here, probably, about the experience. I'd, I'd mentioned this before we came on, I think. The experience with my partner, who's been very seriously ill over the last five years. And... I don't want to talk about her situation. I think more in terms of my own way of dealing with it because the nature of her illness has been that there's uncertainty as to how far she will, if if she will recover and how far she will recover. And that uncertainty is there all the time, even though she's been doing better. It's there the whole time. And in a way, that's rather similar to a lot of the ways that we have to deal with stress in the world. I'm very fortunate. I'm in London, which is fairly safe. Touch wood. You know, economically, my situation is okay. There's a, a, and at the same time, there are a lot of things going on in the world which are potentially very frightening. So if we're carrying that worry, it's kind of similar to having this situation with my partner, with this uncertainty regarding her health. One of the things that this somatic work has enabled me to do has actually been a, to enable me to start to have time of recuperation in the midst of a situation which is not solved. Right? There's no way I can solve her health, just like we can't solve the world situation. And I can find ways to actually find oases and places of peace where I can recuperate and rest and strengthen and grow and all of these things. And because it is so based in the body and so based in helping my nervous system, not, my, not solving the problem, not thinking it through, because it's so based in the body, it's actually enabled me to do that in spite of this situation. And I feel like that is such a, such a gift for me, has been such a gift for me. 
you know, and it enables me to deal with the ongoing stress in a completely different way. You know, you asked at the beginning, how has it changed things for you? It has enabled me to show up in so much of a better way for her and be more effective in my life and my work. It's, it's really dramatic. Um, what, are, what do you mean? So, like, like I understand, but... What specifically, like what, let's say you didn't have these tools, you didn't know how to do all this stuff with the nervous system. What might have happened? How might you have behaved, do you think? Uh, how much, sorry, I didn't hear that. How, how might, like what would you have done differently if you didn't have these tools? Um, how would you have, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I could have diverted into other activities. I might have left. For example, those just are gave some up. gross things. Pardon? Just gave up on the relationship, you mean? Just gave up, just just gone. The result has been that we're closer than ever and I'm seeing this amazing person become in, even more amazing and our relationship has become very, very lovely. Um, that's, that's been the way it's worked out. But I, I think the, the main things were extreme fatigue, and when being with somebody who has spent a lot of their time and is very ill, there's a lot of adapting that has to go on and a lot of planning and working and thinking and organizing and emotional um, sort of, it's, it's hard seeing somebody you care about in pain, you know, whether that's physical or emotional, it's very, very hard work. So it's to do with that my being able to retain a good quality of life for myself, I think that's the main thing that I've been able to do. And all the ways that that can go out the window, racing thoughts, um, feelings of despair, hopelessness, trappedness, all of those sorts of things which can come up. Does that give you a sense of it? Yeah, and then, well, and then also I'm trying to get specific. So like, and then, because often when people are really stressed, they then, and they don't have a healthy way to regulate it's a resource, they'll go to unhealthy things, whether it's alcohol or cigarettes or there's certain things that people go to, right? So if you didn't have yeah. this stuff, I guess you would have gone to, you probably have your set of, we all have them, <laughs> unhealthy things that we'll do when we, when we don't have a healthy way to soothe and relax, right? Yeah. I mean, it could be any one of a number of things. I mean, a lot of these things have not been active, but in the past I used to drink. Um, so I might have ended up doing that. Um, I think the, the the main, you know, I would end up watching way too much stuff late into the night, eating a lot, that sort of thing. And so that you haven't done that is what you're saying because you know how to soothe your system <clears throat> by being in the body yeah. and that kind of thing. You don't... I, I mean, the, I, I think... You know, you spoke earlier about coping mechanisms and if we don't have anything um, else, a coping mechanism is really, really important. You know, it's not, it's not about getting rid of those things because we need them because we are using them to do something. So if I think back to my uh, times earlier in my life when I was drinking quite a bit, um, or doing other things which were less less health, healthy, 
they were helping me cope in some way. They were sort of like helping me stabilize myself. And there's this other thing that you can do in somatic work when we approach it in a healthy way is a way to actually develop a resource which is different to a coping mechanism because rather like you said right, you know, a lot earlier, they help us actually be with and process what's going on. So, you know, there are ongoing stresses now, still. And the amount of time it takes me to notice that I'm stressed, accept it, work with it, find a solution, a best solution, not a perfect one, and actually notice that my body's got tense, so I do something about that. Notice that I'm actually, I've got too much energy, so I've got to get it out some way, so I do something about that. So there's this constant um, movement of looking after. And the, this somatic work enables me to have the awareness and the tools to actually look after it rather than try and squash it down, rather than just manage to cope with it. And I do want to say as well, there are times in life where we do just have to cope with it. You know, if I'm looking after a, a friend's kid and I stub my toe, I need to, and, and they're tiny and they're going to get frightened if I start screaming, I need to just go, mm, and keep it to myself so that I, yes, I've just stubbed my toe, you know, explain it in a good way and then deal with it later. You know, we need coping mechanisms. It's not about not using them at all, in my view. But these resources you can get with somatic work, they're just, they're a whole different level for me. And it's interesting, like, I mean, we're not saying, I know you're not saying never drink, never smoke, never do whatever oh, no, no. it is that you want to do. It's like, you still do it. It just changes the relationship. It's like, I don't need to do any of that stuff to feel good. Like I already feel good. And then sometimes I might do it. You, you know, I find with alcohol, I rarely drink. I think I got drunk a few weeks ago for the first time in five or six years. It was all right, but I don't think I'll do it again for a while. <laughs> so, cause you start to feel how these, the, all of these things affect you. But one thing I just want to highlight, um, because I think some people might hear, oh, that sounds great. And you, I can, you can chill out a bit more. You can relax. What's the big deal about that? But I think when we look at like life trajectory, if you left your partner, that would have changed everything. Like you would have been on a completely different life path. Or if you had been drinking every night or eating lots of food and then watching lots of TV and you did that for a very long time, like that would make huge changes in where you were going in your life. So like a simple thing of just knowing how to relax by working with your nervous system, knowing how to build a healthy resource internally so you don't need these other things it's very simple and almost trivial in the moment but when you stack that up over years and even decades of time it makes a massive difference in where someone ends up in their life whether they're happy or depressed or healthy and fit or overweight and you know that kind of a thing i couldn't agree more and if you combine that with that idea of what that what is it that you actually want to make in your life? And you return to that over and over again so that you're actually creating from that place of what you really want. And you put that alongside not acting out of these automatic coping mechanisms as well. Then it really does change your life trajectory at the same time as improving the quality of life now. That's the thing for me. And there's one other aspect which I feel very strongly about, which occurred to me as you were talking, which is I don't feel scared of 
my challenges, internal challenges anymore. And I don't feel I've said that very well, but um, I now know, because I've done this sort of work a lot, I now know that I can deal with pretty much anything that comes up, or even if I can't deal with it, I'll find a way. And that's on a, on a deeper level, relax me a huge amount. And because if we want to move towards a more creative way of living, we are going to be testing our edge. We can't avoid stresses coming up. You know, there's a, there's a David Bowie quote, which I'll get completely wrong or just paraphrase, where he says something like, he knew he wasn't being creative if he was feeling comfortable. And there is some truth to that, that as we test our edges and want to move beyond our current um, world that we're in, we will come up against our boundaries and that will be a stress. So at the same time that we're dealing with the stresses in our life, we're actually building a tolerance and a capacity to deal with more stress, more helpfully, and that enables us to actually create more. It's a virtuous circle as we go on. And I, I find that very, very exciting. And it's a really wonderful thing to see with people that I work with. That as they deal with their, get better at these tools that you're working with, that I'm working with, that actually they can create more, feel more empowered to create more. It's a really wonderful thing to see. Yeah, it's like, what comes up for me when I think about that is, I've chatted with my sister about this a lot as well. She's into this work. Um, to all the nervous system stuff. And we talk about how it's like all we're ever dealing with. We think we're dealing with the world. We think we're reacting to the world. And it's almost like we're only ever really dealing with ourselves, our own reactions to everything else. If we can figure out how to work with our own reactions, our own fear, our anger, the different emotional responses we have to everything, our, our entire response to everything, and we can come to terms with that and make peace with that, it's almost like it creates a sort of a fearlessness, not in the sense that there is no fear, but a fearlessness in the sense that it doesn't matter what life throws at me because I know that I'll be able to handle it. Even if I get overwhelmed temporarily, I know that I've got this one way or another. I'll figure it out. I can come back to myself. I know I have the tools. And then that's what you're talking about. Then what that creates is a sense of safety or a sense of I'm okay, I'm comfortable, even if I'm uncomfortable which then means now I can start to do things that in the past I never would have even considered because if it went wrong or if it went right, I wouldn't be able to deal with the stress that came with it. And now it's like, well, okay, well, now let's try and make some more money. Let's start that business. Let's meet that person. Let's do these things that in the past I wouldn't have done because now I have that, what do we call it, capacity or a sort of fearlessness or um, just feeling safe. There's different words for it, but it's that same thing I think you're, you're talking about where it's we just get more comfortable with everything that's happening, even the uncomfortable stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I, I could, couldn't agree more. And I like, I like the way you brought in different words for it, fearlessness and increased capacity and safety, because it is something which... It's an ongoing process of orienting ourselves in a, in a different sense of orienting to the one we used before, which is the technique, yeah. but of directing our attention to what we really want. 
And in order to do that in a way to, to start making what we want, in a way that isn't in this kind of pushing through kind of, um, it's almost a, a self-abuse that happens, this idea that you just got to push through whatever and make it happen. Of course we have to do that sometimes, but it's actually much more enjoyable to create from a place where we're sort of following bits of our flow as they unfold. So it's it's so much more pleasurable. Yeah. I mean, it's, I was chatting to someone here the other day in a San Pedro ceremony, and he, we were talking about this idea of purpose and doing, creating, I suppose, but doing what you want to do with your life. And I think in the past, before I found this stuff, it was all very mental. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. I'm going to journal about it. I'm going to do like exercises and write and maybe eventually I'll figure it out and then I'll go and do the thing. And I did lots of different things, but I just, it's like I was lacking the, it was like an empty fuel tank. Like I'd go for a few weeks or a few months and then get bored. And we were talking about with uh, this guy, Bernard, he lives here in the Valley, um, about doing something wanting and wanting it to come from the heart and the gut that it's like the body, there's this, oh, that's that impulse. It's, it's like some, like a somatic or a physical thing, like we're being pulled towards whatever it is that we want to create. It's not a, I'm chasing it. It's almost like it's just drawing us in. We can't help ourselves. Kind of like, which I guess goes back to being a kid. Where It's like you don't think about what you want to do. You don't analyze it. You don't see a career counselor. You you just know. You as a kid, you go climb a tree, you play in the park, you play video game, like a million different things that you just so, it's all impulse, you know. Yeah. And the ideal for me is that we can have our mind working, you know, we can have our thinking mind working for us, with us. And what I've noticed for myself, I don't know if you've had the same thing, but I actually, I don't have to think so long and so hard to get to a solution these days. You know, I can't solve everything, obviously, all the time, but it's like my thinking has become clearer and my problem solving has become better. So I guess really what I'm trying to say is like, instead of having this overthinking, rather like we said before, we get access to this other place that comes from the body that will pull us towards things. And the bottom line is it just feels so much better. So much more satisfying, (laughs) you know, uh, just in about, I, I, it seems like the simplest way to improve quality of life, having done the work that I've done, because everything becomes more enjoyable because so much more is coming from this place. Yeah, the word that I like is alignment, where it's like, I mean, the mind, like you said, the mind, it's not what I'm saying, like be a kid or it's like being a kid. Kids also, part of what limits kids is they don't have a higher brain that can think. That's why they do stupid things and get into trouble. So it's like it's like bringing everything into balance, the mind, the head, the heart, and the gut, Bring it all into alignment. So we're doing what is both wise, so maybe like from an intellectual thinking point of view, it makes sense, but also what feels, you know, what we genuinely want to do in the heart and the gut as well, bringing all those things together and that feeling of alignment, because I feel like that right now with Rage Heart, where it's like, I love this stuff, like the somatic, the nervous system stuff, plant medicine too. And the fact that, you know, it's what I'm doing anyway, day to day. I'm doing it, not doing plant medicine every day, but like using these tools on this path of growth um, already. It's what I'm doing seven days a week. 
Um, it just becomes part of a, like a lifestyle or a way of living. And then the fact of being able to then do that with other people and share it with other people, it's like, oh, now it's like it's all the same thing. There's like the difference between work and play. They're very blurry right now. It's almost just all one big thing. Life is just life. It's not like here I go to work, I guess I go to do this thing that I don't really enjoy. And then here's my playtime. It's more, it's all the same thing. And um, it's amazing. It takes time. It's taken me a lot of time to get to that point. But I think that's one of the benefits, the, maybe the more longer-term benefits for people who get into this. If they really work it, this stuff starts to unfold. They, people start to figure out it's like their purpose or what they're here to do, what they really want to do. And uh, and then they have the safety or the capacity on board to actually feel like they can do it. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. That's that's what I've seen with people that I've worked with, other friends and colleagues who've done this stuff. And <clears throat> I suppose, again, going back to what was said earlier, it's not about this instead of other things. You know, like for you, it has become very central. For me, it's very important alongside the other things I use. Um, but it, for me anyway, it will make everything else that you do easier and better. That's my sense. I suspect for most people. And, you know, you mentioned the higher brain being online and how it isn't always the case for kids. When I've overreacted, my higher brain is not, <laughs> not online. That's part of the <laughs> definition of this stuff. I may feel like I'm absolutely right in that intense moment of irritation that I feel towards something else or somebody else, or when I've shut down, I may feel like I'm the most terrible person in the world. What's happened is that I've dropped into a part of my nervous system which switches off my higher brain. Now, the reason it's there, there is a reason that I've done that. And part of the joy of this work is that we get to recognize these things and then move through them more quickly and then understand more about ourselves, which has this knock-on effect of being more connecting to other people, more insight about other people. But this point that, you know, our physiology has just said, "Uh uh-uh, no, your brain's going offline now. To be able to recognize that and not try and solve a problem from that place if you, want, if you want one thing which is going to save you wasted time and energy, <laughs> be it at your work or your relationships or whatever, it's that. Mm. Well, this is what you said before. This is, I wanted to touch on it too. Like The further we go into fight or flight, the more activated or sympathetic we get in our nervous system, preparing to defend or attack or something like that, the more we go instinctual. So we lose access to that was a prefrontal cortex that can think and reason and see yeah. biases and things like that. And so the more triggered we are, the more that goes offline is what you're saying. And then what's really cool though is as we do this work, because a lot of people are already just permanently in an activated state because of what they've been through and not having these tools. And you were talking before about as you've done this, it's like the system starts to come out of fight or flight over time, slowly or gently. And uh, as that happens, that prefrontal cortex, that part of our brain that's intelligent, that can think and reason, becomes more active. And not in like a the mind chattering away, blah, blah kind of thing, but like a problem-solving, clarity, understanding things better. That's what you were talking about before, that as you've done this, even your thinking is clear. It's not just about being in your body. Your ability to think and solve problems and create is also much clearer too. 
Yeah, and it and as you do more of it, the shift becomes quite quick. The shift into that place becomes faster. Um, and I think one of the lovely things about this kind of work and healing in general is the possibility of this idea that the brain can create new pathways. So we can actually get build almost like a muscle of being in that place of our prefrontal cortex that you're talking about with more ease. Over time, we can make it more and more of our habitual place, which is a wonderful thing. You know, I'm somebody who was in freeze for most of my life. I didn't know I was. Just kind of shut down for a lot of my life. To actually have come out of that and to be able to see, it's a bit like waking up from a sleep. You know, if we look at the big picture of it, colours are brighter. You know, life is more and more varied and interesting. And it's wonderful to realise that if I'm in that shutdown state like I was, it's just because of, I don't know, my past or diet or something like that. It doesn't actually mean anything about who I am. Because working with the nervous system stuff, it's kind of neutral. Everybody has a nervous system. Everybody has some things which have got stuck in it. And if we work at that level and learn how to manage it and release them, they just don't have to be such a big deal anymore. And we get access to this other place. And I, I think actually, as I, as I spoke about that, it's one of the things I really love about it is that the, the nervous system work, it's not personal in that way that, you know, my background, this happened, that happened. Yes, things did happen. They were real. And the impact that they've had on me is something that I can work with at the nervous system level and soften and allow to move with the sorts of methods that you're talking about and that I use. I like it. I reckon that's a good note to end on, this idea that it's not good, not bad, it's completely neutral. We all have stuff and it's okay. So (laughs) if people want to learn more about you and connect with you maybe, where is the best place for them to do that? Um, you can send me an email at simon at simonberkowitz.com and that's simon, S-I-M-O-N, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z.com. And yeah, yeah, get in touch. Only in person? No, I work with people one-on-one online as well as uh, in person. Okay. So if people wanted to work with you, they could send you an email and learn a bit more about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can tell you a bit more about how I work. Yeah, cool. Fantastic. Right. Awesome. Simon, thank you for uh, coming to the show, mate. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me, John. And uh, yeah, really lovely to be here and lovely to share a bit of how wonderful this work can be. Absolutely, yeah. All right, just before we wrap up here, I've got some bad advice, some hilariously bad advice you should not follow from the internet. I love the internet, right? We all do. There's so much funny shit out there, right? So many different memes and stories and jokes and all kinds of random stuff. For example, take this piece of advice from someone's quote-unquote no-nonsense grandfather. If you see a bear and don't have time to run away, give it a hug because bears cannot scratch their stomachs. That's from uh, Rose Everleth on Twitter. 
and to uh, no-nonsense grandfather. Hmm. I don't think I'm going to test that one out. If you end up trying it out, I would not recommend it. <laughs> Let me know how that goes. What about this one? When I started learning how to drive, my dad, completely serious, said to me, always weave a little and all the other cars will stay away from you. That's from Carlin Stevenson at Cocoa Beach in Florida. In other words, drive offensively, also known as drive in a way that scares the hell out of everyone else. I'm not saying it won't work, but there might be some other ways, some better ways to avoid killing yourself, like um, driving properly. Humans are a bit weird like that. Here's another one. Take a deep breath to calm down. Right? It's so common. This sounds like it's good advice. Everyone says it. If you're stressed out, hey, just take a deep breath and relax. But is it actually good advice? That depends who you ask. In the world of nervous system healing, which I talk about a lot here on the Rage Heart podcast, the answer is on the Rage Heart email newsletter, the Daily Growl. This, uh, this is just an email that I've read out from the, the Daily Growl, the daily email newsletter for Rage Heart. So I think it's number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's email eight when you sign up. So if you sign up today, you'll get it in the next two weeks. You can find out why taking a deep breath to calm down is bad advice depending on the context and situation. And it all, all comes back to the science of the nervous system. So if you want to get that answer, go to rageheart.co. It's like Braveheart, but rageheart.co. And uh, right there on the homepage, there is a little box. Put your email address in, hit the red button that says, give it to me, baby. Hit that button and uh, confirm your email address and then you'll be on the Daily Growl. You'll get an email every single day. And one of those emails will be the email I just read out with the (laughs) answer to why it depends. Why it depends, <laughs> the whole take a deep breath thing, and what situations it would be advisable not to take a deep breath, okay? You can also probably just type in Rageheart into Google. I think I'm number one at this point. So yeah, that's rageheart.co, like Braveheart, but rageheart.co.